All right, our study tonight is in Psalm 105. We're just going to do a little short study. And again, I want to have a little bit of time in sharing in the middle of this. But if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 105. We talked Sunday morning about asking the Lord to show us His glory. And that really means in, in a very simple way to, to know in a deeper way the majesty and the power and the sufficiency of the Lord to have our desires change from self to, to only wanting a greater expression of God's hand. And the more we kind of understand uh, praising the Lord for His greatness, the more that is, is kind of our practice, um, the more our heart and mind will then be full of faith. Because the more you focus and praise the Lord, right, the more it stokes your faith. It's when we look inwardly that, that our faith starts to struggle. And, and by having greater faith, that then mitigates against fear and against doubt uh, that the enemy constantly wants to instill in us. So this is a spiritual battle, and the Lord has shown us enough evidence, and he's equipped us with his Holy Spirit um, to overcome that temptation, and that's really what it is. Weak faith is a, is a temptation, and we need the Lord to give us a, a really uh, audacious and victorious trust in him. We need to have a faith that is so sure and so confident um, that nothing can sway us. So that's a really important principle for tonight and this whole year. Um, and I want to talk about it a little bit tonight, especially as it relates to prayer. So this text in Psalm 105 gives us a very simple and very effective framework for how we should live and how we should pray every single day. And I'm kind of calling the study tonight, getting it right. The concept is that we want to establish in our minds, no matter how long you've been saved, we want to establish a, a con, uh, correct and consistent way of thinking. We don't want temptation to be able to persuade us. We don't want trials to be able to discourage us. We don't want spiritual warfare to defeat us. We want to be strong and holy and standing before the Lord and getting everything that we do right in the sight of the Lord. So what I love about this, and we're just going to look at five verses real quick tonight. I love how easy this is. I love how straightforward it is. There's nothing magical tonight. This is stuff you've heard before, but sometimes you've got to get back to the basics, right? Sometimes you just got to be reminded this is how simple it is. This is not deep theological teaching tonight. If that's why you're here, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Um, but, but this is just meat, right? This is just a nice little steak. You like steak? You know, a nice little filet that's cooked, for me, well done, with a little peppercorns. Oh, that's so good. Baked potato, right? You didn't eat dinner. Like, now I want a steak, right? So, so this, is a, this is a nice prime cut steak with, with a baked potato and a nice veggie, right? I wish we could do that right now. Somebody serve us some food. All right. The, the, these ideas are not complicated, all right? They're very logical. We just have to remember to keep doing them. So five verses, then we're going to establish three principles to get it right, okay? Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. 
seek his face continually. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. Okay? Three principles. Take a couple notes tonight because this is, this is foundation. All right? The first principle that the Spirit establishes, verses 1 to 3, is to keep your focus on the Lord. Right? Obvious truth. We know it. We, we've all heard it before. The problem is, this is the easiest principle to drift away from. It's the easiest one to slip in. And because it is, it's important because it directly affects the other two principles. So we have to keep coming back to this and keep getting this right, that our focus needs to be on the Lord. Now, notice in those five verses that we read, that everything is directed toward the Lord. Look how many times the word Lord or Him or His, look at all the pronouns, okay? There's absolutely nothing about us. I don't even think there's an I, is there? No, there's not. There's not an I or a you. It's all about the Lord. And that's a basic concept, but it is our human tendency, whether we're abounding or whether we're in crisis, to think of ourselves. Think how many times today you thought of yourself, Think how many times you thought of the Lord. Now, the reason Jesus saved us and what he did when he did is he changed our nature. And the, God, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is constantly in the process of renewing our mind. But as we saw Sunday, if we don't make that our top priority to study the word and to abide in his presence and to pray and to trust him, we will easily, and I mean easily, slip back into self-focus. And I believe this is why many believers, even though they've made a decision, they trusted Christ at some point, and they went forward, and all that kind of stuff, why many believers are not living victoriously. Why many believers are not living in confidence, because they are not walking with Him like they should be. There should be spiritual strength, there should be resiliency, there should be, coming, uh, be an overcoming mindset, rather than kind of being weak, and despondent, and kind of resigned to, to a lack of, of victory. So how do we offset this? Look at the blueprint. Because verses 1 to 3 are a blueprint under the heading, focus on the Lord. All right? Number 1, verse 1, it starts with praise. Praise. We have to get our heart right. The only way to get our heart right is to praise the Lord again and again and again and again. Have you ever been praying and you're right in the middle of your prayer when you're supposed to be finding comfort in his presence and feeling strength and trusting him at work. And your mind starts to wander and you start to fall back into stress and worry and you start to drift. That drives me crazy and it happens to me all the time. Now, the, the intention of prayer, right, is to get into his presence. The intention of prayer is to experience what we've experienced in the last 20, 30 minutes. Strength, right? Power, exalting Christ, coming to his throne, knowing he's going to work, knowing he's going to answer, knowing he hears us. But, but when we pray and we slip back into self-focus, now that's the complete opposite of what prayer is intended to do. It's not, I, I don't come to the throne of grace to feel weaker. I don't come to the throne of grace to focus on myself more and to feel more self-pity and more frustration. I come because that's where there's power. Remember Moses, Exodus 33 Sunday, when he goes into the tent of meeting? What did he experience in that moment? The text doesn't tell us, but we know, right? Awe, wonder, satisfaction, strength, 
sufficiency. Like, there's no way, there is no way Moses is standing in the presence of God, talking to God face-to-face, the text says, like a person talks to a friend. In, in the awe and strength of God, there's no way Moses is standing there thinking, yeah, but all my problems, all my stuff, yeah, that's great, presence of the Lord and all that, but seriously, I got such a long list. Why? Because the presence of God is so awesome and so wonderful and so overwhelming that he couldn't do that. So to again state what we already know, this is why we need to spend more time, especially in prayer, more time in praise and in thanksgiving. I want to encourage us to commit to that more in the coming year. It's why we start every prayer meeting right with worship and with singing, and with open praise. It was such a beautiful time tonight. We're just praising the Lord. Because we've got to get our hearts off our day, right? Busy day, stressful day. I'm like running all around and studying and preparing and songs and, and, and taking phone calls and sending emails. And, and, and it's like, ah. And then you walk in here, right? I'm not thinking about emails right now. When we were praying for our sister, I wasn't thinking about, well, what am I going to have for dinner? I was just thinking about, isn't God great? And that's what he says next in verse 1. He says, call on his name. Call on his name. Once we're focused on him and his greatness and his mercy, then it delights us, right, to know that we have a relationship with him and that it makes us happy because we can go to him and we can ask him for help. The greatest strength of prayer is that we never have to doubt the Lord's power or his goodness to us. You, you never come to prayer and you feel yourself wanting, like, I hope God hears me. Or, or I, hope, I hope God's powerful enough to answer this prayer. We may be lacking the faith to know he's going to do it. But, but we never have to doubt that he can do it. And that makes prayer an amazing resource. An amazing resource because it all rests on the Lord and not on us. So look at what the psalmist says. He says, give thanks to the Lord and call on who? Call on him. Deflection away from self, reprioritization of the mind, and a posture of humility and dependence. But that's why we're there. We're there to come to our Savior and our Lord and our friend, and say, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is strength. In your presence is your sufficiency. Then look at the third thing he says. End of verse 1, he says, make known his deeds. Now, this is the part that we don't always accomplish. Notice, we haven't talked yet about bringing our requests or telling him our hurts and problems. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do that in prayer. In fact, we're told that's one of the great privileges of prayer that we can let our requests be made known. So I'm not saying, excuse me, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm saying there are times when we just need to praise. There are times when we just need to tell other people. There are times we just need to remember what the Lord's done. And one of the honors and responsibilities that we have as redeemed children of God is to tell other people what God's done. Tell of what he's done. Speak of all his wonders. I want, I want to pull us back to the text for a second because I want to encourage each of us to do this more often with each other. And I really want to encourage us to do this with our kids. How powerful would it be if Harbor Rock was a place where every time we gathered, you knew 
you knew you were going to he- hear people talking about the grace of the Lord. We've all been in plenty of churches, right? We know where there are places where there's complaining and there's gossip. And I praise the Lord. We have so little of that here. That's a blessing. But I, I pray this is just a place of encouragement. I mean, we talk about a place to be refreshed, right? Not just in worship, not just at Bible studies, but just in our interaction in the hallways, right? Just in seeing each other, passing by, that you know that there's encouragement there. And we've got to take that principle to our homes. What's the atmosphere of our homes? What's the atmosphere of our families? Is it tension and yelling and fighting? Well, we're just kind of joking around. Yeah, but in every joke, there's truth, right? And we've got to guard against there being this kind of subtly toxic culture that that starts to perpetuate because we're not guarding against this. So we know we love each other, right? But is that really conveyed? Is the tone in our houses one of praise to the Lord and encouragement, or is it one of focus on self and criticism? And if that's the case, if it's the second one, one of the easiest ways to change that, look back at the text, is, is to speak of him, speak of his wonders, make known his deeds among the people. So, so at mealtime, right, let's, let's say, well, we're going to start to share what's the Lord been doing in your life. And if you haven't seen anything tangible lately, then read verses like this and talk about how good the Lord is and talk about how he's worked in the past and tell everybody to take their headphones out of their ears and put on some praise music and, and start to give intentional encouragement to each person. That will change the atmosphere of our homes. Now you say, well, my atmosphere of my home is fine. Good. Keep it that way. The many homes, right, are, are kind, of, kind of painful. And we as parents have the responsibility to change that. We have, we have the goal, and, and we're told here, this is not a suggestion at the end of verse 1, to make known his deeds among the people. I feel encouraged listening to you guys share tonight, right? Like, oh, wow, that's awesome. You know, Lynn's, you know, cousin got saved, and, and Helen, I mean, what a nice word that is, and, and Laura talking about her marriage. I mean, I mean th- that's encouraging, right, what happened with Shelly? That, that strengthened me. I feel stronger tonight now, having heard my brothers and sisters share, this is what God's doing. So we need to, we need to make this a constant thing. All right, look at the next thing, verse 3. Glory in his name. Glory in his name. Now, what does that mean? Glory has two meanings there. It means to praise and to boast. All right? So the implication is we have to keep praising the Lord for who he is, and then we have to revel in his magnificence and his power and be so grateful, so grateful that we're allowed to know him and be his children. And then once we do that, we are called to boast about him. Now, be careful here because we don't want it to be talking about ourselves and not about him. Sometimes when we brag about our kids, right, we, or we draw attention to them because we're so proud of them and we want others to understand that they're great kids. But sometimes that slips into a little bit self-serving, right? You remember the old Christmas letters you used to get? Well, Johnny's in the honor roll, and he, you know, won 19, you know, scholarships to so-and-so, and he's going to Harvard, and he's got a 9.6 GPA, and, and you know, he's, he's training dogs on the side and feeding the homeless, and, and he, we're just so proud, like, stop it, stop it, stop it, all right? When we boast about the Lord, we can't possibly say, well, look how awesome I am. The only thing we can say is, look how awesome he is. Look how he's changed my life. Look what he has done. It is all to his praise and all to his glory, and it's all because of Jesus. And and when we do that, 
there's, there's nothing about him, uh, excuse me, nothing about us, because we've done nothing to be saved. We've done nothing to be restored. We've been nothing to be adopted. So when we boast about the Lord, kind of a strange word, when we glory in him, we're bringing all praise to his name. So this is what we're called to do. We're supposed to give thanks. We're supposed to call on his name. We're supposed to make his deeds known to people. And we're supposed to glory in his name. Now, everything is dependent on this first principle, focusing on the Lord. Because once we do that, the next two, which we'll go through very quickly, flow out of that. Because when we focus on the Lord, second, it fosters the right perspective. When we're confident in the Lord, when we talk about his deeds and his greatness and his mercy, then look at the end of verse 3. It says, then the heart of him who seek him will be glad. Right? How many of us, don't raise your hands, how many of us walked in tonight with a burden on our heart? Maybe that's the reason you came tonight, because you have a burden on your heart, and you need the strength of the Lord, and you need the power of his word, and you need the body, and you need people who love and trust him right now to come alongside you and pray for you. That's what we just did for our sister, right? She was discouraged Sunday morning. She was in tears Sunday morning, and now I guarantee you she's feeling stronger. All the problems aren't gone. She's still got to be concerned about what's going to happen. But, but listen, there's a greater strength there because now she's been reminded that we all believe together nothing's impossible with God. And when we call on his name, it turns sorrow and fear and sadness into gladness. So look at what he says. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. See, the right perspective prevents the formation of panic. The right perspective prevents the formation of panic. It's the strongest deterrent that we have to looking at circumstances and thinking that's it, it's permanent. There, there, you know, Helen just talked about it. Stage 4 cancer five years ago. You get stage 4 cancer at, at an older age, like you, that's, you know, now I better start writing my will. Now, you're not old. I'm sorry, I apologize. I knew I, knew I shouldn't have even gone there. Right? But seriously, five years later, she's sitting here. Is there a greater source of encouragement and praising the Lord on Sunday morning than her? It encourages my spirit. Right? So nothing's impossible with God. No situation's too hard for him. There's, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. So when we speak praise of him, we don't have to panic. We don't have to be worried because our heart, look at the verse again, is to be glad. That is both a conclusion and a decision. It's a conclusion out of knowing him, and it's a decision to be glad. Now, interestingly, when I looked at the text in the original, it says right here in our text, right, let the heart of those be glad. The thing is, when you look at the Hebrew, the words let the aren't there. The commentators, the, the interpreters put that in because it makes sense grammatically. But, but the implication is, this is not a choice. This is the natural conclusion that comes out of seeking the Lord, that because I seek the Lord, I will be glad. That will be what happens. So read the verse again. Glory in his holy name. Those who seek the Lord will be glad. You will be glad. It's not a decision. 
And how can we be confident in that? Look at verse 4. We're confident in that by seeking the Lord and his strength. I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of natural strength. But we know that the Lord's strong, right? And he says in Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Don't tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What a tremendous promise that is. He says in Psalm 121, I will not allow you to slumber. I, I won't slumber. I won't sleep. I won't allow your foot to slip. I'll protect you from all evil. I keep your going out and your coming in now and forevermore. In other words, if I can save your soul, I can take care of tomorrow. And we've got to find strength in that. Because if we focus on the Lord, it gets the right perspective. And then look at the last thing. If we're certain of that and we have confidence in him, the third principle is that will fight discouragement. If you focus on the Lord, you have the right perspective. When you have the right perspective because you're focused on the Lord, discouragement can't take root. We can't allow it to take root, right? We can't give the enemy any foothold because he's constantly looking for a way to denigrate our Savior and to convince us that we should doubt the Lord. So what's the most effective way to fight discouragement? Look back at verse 5. Remember his wonders which he's done. Remember his wonders which he's done. I want to encourage you. You guys are the faithful, all right? I want to encourage you in the new year, keep a literal record of the times when you've clearly seen the Lord work. I would call it a remembrance record, right? The, the, the time, I want you to start writing down, I saw the Lord work today. I saw him answer my prayer. I saw a time when it was obvious that his hand was on this. I, I remember a time when he came alongside me. I was discouraged. Like Shelly just said, I, I was discouraged, and, and he ministered to me, and it was so pure and so quick that, that like, right, it took you like an hour to go, wait a second, he just answered my prayer. Have you ever had that happen? You're praying, oh, Lord, please, 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 and then God answers it, and you're like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> you just answered that. Like, like, we're so amazed, like God would be sufficient. So keep a record of it. We have some of the prayer cards out at the Welcome Center. We can find more if they're not out there, where, where you write down the prayer request, the date you started praying, and then when it's answered, you write in, it was answered in this date. And I want you to keep a record. So I'm going to encourage us to do that. I've also thought of starting a breakthrough wall, where we have a wall in this church where we write down prayer requests, or we write down needs, and then we see this is when God did it. And we start to list praises, like tangible, visible that's where God broke through. That's what God did. Because what will be stronger for the kids walking up and down the hallway, right? If they look, wow, look at what the Lord's done. And then kids have great faith, right? They'll start to put their little requests up on the wall, and we'll pray for those. We'll say, when that answers, we're going to change the color. Like that'll, there, God answered that. How powerful that would be a testimony of God's work, a tangible way to praise him and to tell others his works and to give glory to his name. All right? So our thinking, 2019, we have to focus on the Lord, we have to get the right perspective, and that will fight discouragement. All right? Let's ask God to help us.